Welcome to Composers On Air, podcast presented by the Lithuanian Music Information Center. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be hearing conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into their music. Enter a transformative world and disappear into the music of Juste Janolite. As the atmosphere immerses you, envelops you into gradual textures, creating an impression of twinkling, rippling flashes of light and color. It's as if the music emerges from unseen distances, and then the music becomes closer without noticing. Then you feel something powerful passing through you, and then it disappears without even noticing it. I'm so happy to be able to have this conversation with Yuste Yonalite, the first virtually recorded podcast of the series, speaking to her from Milan, Italy, and having a fantastic discussion about her inner processes and musical experiences. I met Yonalite almost 20 years ago and was able to watch her development throughout the last 20 years, and I'm very excited to be able to talk with her. This episode is brought to you by the Lithuanian Council for Culture and the Ministry of Culture of the Republic of Lithuania. So I wanted to welcome you to this episode of Composers on Air. I know it's been many, many years since we've met, but I really looked forward to this interview and wanted to talk about your life and your music and how things are going for you. So welcome. Hi, True. Thank you. So when I was doing the research for your music and really going deeply into a lot of the ideas, and of course I'm familiar with your music from many years ago, but I started to get involved in what you're doing and all the qualities of life. And I know that you've been extremely busy these days and congratulations on your success of all the new pieces and your productivity for 2020 and 2021, and traveling to Germany a lot, working with Recordare in Köln, and also Apnea for String Orchestra in Munich, and again in Tallinn, and I think again in Helsinki, also the color of water in the saxophone concerto. And I just wanted to ask you as an opening question, uh, how has it been environmentally traveling and performing in the recent months with the pandemic? And how has the audience felt for you? And how is the experience of performing? Oh, I think it was really exciting to be back to life and uh, both for composers and as well as for musicians because everyone like felt that the musicians felt that the public was really missing and of course uh, we composers really missed our music being performed live and it was really I think it's been always like a joy to attend your performances to be able to attend the rehearsals and to do the creative work during them but especially now I think everyone felt that it's so precious to be back again. Yeah, I, I sense a feeling of kind of a rebirth of the energy of performance and the energy of, and like you say, the preciousness of sharing music. And so I imagine the energy levels were very high and very exciting actually, right? 
Mm, yes, really, because especially when you have a new pieces, so it's very important to hear them played live and to attend the rehearsals and to have the written pieces performed because I was quite lucky, I must say, in these two years because all the premieres which were planned actually happened without any postponed date. So just when the some time gaps were, when the world opened, even the last year in the October, had a premiere with Ensemble Modern and as well with the trumpet octet in Germany in Witten Festival. So and then this year I had my premiere in June with Münchener Kammer Orchestra, so which was planned actually in the end of June, and it was the first live concert of this orchestra. So I must say I was really lucky not to miss anything. But still, even if you have your old pieces played and you can attend, so it's every time it's you, you learn something new about your music and you get more conscious every time you listen to it and you, you somehow you can think better for what you are doing and especially what you would want to do later in your next experiences. Yes, and also with this period of time, there's been a lot of time to compose, and so that offered a lot of productivity as well. So this is interesting because I know that the emotional climate of the pandemic, you know, it's either brought people into non-activity or it's done the opposite and brought people into a higher level of activity, depending on the lifestyle and what's happening. So it's really of great respect and honor to see such a great output and a great productivity in this time where people really need this experience of what your music has to offer. And that's probably what I think about most when I think about your music is that it creates a type of atmosphere, a type of place where one can depart and exist. And I really feel a lot of honest presence about it, every single piece that I hear. And I wanted to also send you condolences for the loss of your teacher, Kutavichus. I know that you are a close student and I think it's possible he was your first teacher is that right? Yes, yes. First and the, yeah, most of the important. Yeah, I, I know that's difficult to process sometimes because the teacher symbolically probably always lives inside of you. And as you work, you probably have this feeling or sense of teacher inside of you as you work. I'm sure it's impossible to avoid that. So I guess this has been a very difficult time for you for processing that. But I don't know, do you have any words to say about Kotavichus in this sense? Well, yeah, yeah, he was, like you said, my first composition teacher. And as well, I was really privileged because I was singing in the choir, in the professional chamber choir in Vilnius for many years. And we were performing also his oratorios and other pieces. So I took a lot from him, not only from the composition lessons, which were at my very early age, but I think much more through performing his music as a singer. So really experiencing the power of his music, the beauty of his music. And I think it's, it really went into my uh, musical genetics uh, just directly, especially through performing. Yes, and I would say, too, one of the things I noticed after hours of listening was this prominence of voice in your work. I mean, is there something about voices in general? Obviously, some of it comes from that inspiration, but you definitely use voice a lot. And I'm just wondering, is this human quality of expressivity 
that a human being can produce with their own body, which is very distinct from an instrument. What is the power behind intention around using voices? Well, yeah, I think voices are very important. I think it's coming from my choral singing experience as well. And more, I think I find it that it was very strong influence to my musical thinking. And, and of course, voices are the most probably strongest and more direct instrument, which really like touches the listener really in a much more direct way than the instruments. So that's inevitable, and I really like a lot. And I would write only for voices, especially for choirs, for big choirs. Like I wrote these pieces for male choir. Now I'm nowhere. Then there is a piece aquarelle for mixed choir. Then also um, two big pieces with choir and orchestra, which was Observation of Clouds ten years ago almost, and now Recordare for choir, orchestra and organ. So And also another piece, yeah, for plonge for 12 voices and cello, so it's very important. And once, uh, even if, when I had my premiere in München for the Sapnea piece for strings, actually, Someone told me that it's very, even if I write for strings, there is some vocal quality, some choral quality in that. And the person, I can't remember who told me, a musicologist, I suppose, and that this quality is actually very much related to the Baltic music in general. So it's maybe it's not only like my own very original attachment to voices and choir, but I think it's very important for many Baltic composers. And, well, speaking more precisely about my music, I think I use a lot of melodies inside in my dense textures, which are very hidden. They are really somehow building these textures of small lines, which are very vocal inside. If you look at it, there are a lot of, like, second intervals, just tiny intervals, like, going up and down, like intonations, I would say. It's, it's all about the, like, changing intonation, which is something which is very vocal. Of course, it's very slow, so it's, it can't be related to language, to the speaking. This music is very slow, so it's much slower than our rhythm of speaking. Because sometimes music is a, in a sense of rhythm, it's very much connected to the language and it's like the same rhythm of language. But in my music, everything is much slower, but still I think there is a lot of vocal quality inside.
I think that even when you, you mentioned that instruments can have a singing quality if even you're focused as an instrumentalist on that type of feeling as you're working through the technique of playing, that you can achieve this type of quality, especially if it's intended. And I wanted to, to ask you about this concept of time, because there's this common question or topic around your music, how time seems to disappear, where you're transported into a place or a, an atmosphere, and there's a concept of time happening, and there's a time perception. And as you just described, you have, compositionally speaking, very specific events that happen. And I wanted to ask about how you understand time with the sense of maybe nature and how nature works. Nature seems like a big structure of time, and maybe a mathematical concept may seem like a very small concept. And do you think your ideas of rhythm come from nature or perhaps because of the singing, maybe they come from breath, but there's something very humanistic about this feeling of rhythm and concept of time and how you achieve this disappearance of a current reality and transport the listener into an alternative reality. Well, um, I think the time perception in my music is very much related to the nature and to our own perception of time. Because in my music, I use uh, two uh, forms of time. One is cyclical and, uh, and cyclical circular, because we live in a time which is cyclical. Day and night and the seasons, they are cyclical. Our bodies have the cyclical time inside as well, like blood cycle as well. And uh, another form of time, which is kind of opposite, but at the same time complementary, which is transformation, a continuous metamorphosis. So going from A to B or to, to one point to another without getting back, So, which is another type of uh, time which we perceive as well. So going from the birth through a certain evolution to the death which can we observe in, in ourselves and also nature. So I think in my music, it's very clear that every time I combine these two forms of time and they somehow control uh, different parameters of music. For example, harmony is cyclical and maybe timbre is in transformation and the range is in transformation and like, different uh, parameters are following different schemes of, of these times. So I think it's, it's a more direct way also to arrive to the listener to really make the music as organic as possible and it, to make it the perception of music very much close to what actually we can perceive as human beings. And of course, in um, the, so these like, how to say, like a major scale, these time form work, but in a, in a tiny, like smaller level, um, there, of course, breathing is another very important thing because I use a lot of regular rhythms, like our breathing, like our walking steps, and um, so we have this kind of uh, also very organic ways of arriving to musical language. 
Yes, that's fascinating. The next thing that comes to mind when you talk about texture or color is this often quoted idea of uh, monochromatic or finding a adherence to color and almost a discipline of keeping a very focused presence on color. And I'm wondering when we consider this idea of monochromatic or focus, and I was thinking about the, the piece for eight flutes, is that when you think of and make decisions about which instruments you're working with, whether it's a string orchestra or a group of bass flutes, what are you thinking in terms of how to contain that sense of, of color and texture? Yeah, I don't choose myself the instruments. Usually these pieces were born because they were commissioned or they were asked to. So I was like adapting my musical thinking to these kind of instruments. Well, the version for bass flute of the piece Unanime actually was made by this Italian flute player Manuel Zuria, but originally the piece was written for trumpets, for eight trumpets. So it was fought for eight trumpets and it was just easily transposed for flutes. I like a lot this monochrome instrumentation because actually you, then you really can concentrate into the one color and to find that actually it's not one color at all. It, it's very colorful and more you go deeper, uh, more you can find different levels of the same color and actually it, it's much more colorful than you put different instruments and they somehow kill everyone, each other and the, the colors disappear. And after all this monochromatic description sometimes it's utopic after all because even if we think about male choir which is very monochromatic but we know that there is no person speaking with the same voice unless they are not like from the same family and still so if you have a piece for 48 voices which was like in my case for this piece now I'm nowhere so you know that you have actually 48 different colors and that's really fascinating how many shades you can feel there.
I also don't like the feeling of limitation you get from a term like that or a description like that because what I think about is, especially in a compositional process, is first of all, you have a surplus of time and energy, but out of that is born, even if it's in one instrument, that you start to bring out almost an unlimited you know, group of colorings and colors. So the textures, the colors, I think are really a matter of the commitment and basically an intimacy around something because of that surplus that you get. It is very mesmerizing to be, again, I use this terminology of transporting, of feeling like there's all of a sudden some type of emotional climate that you feel. And once it becomes comfortable, it allows the listener to almost go into an experience of self-discovery through this real deep clarity of an altered state of mind. And I believe this feeling of atmosphere must come from somewhere. I understand that in your childhood, through the work of your father, you had some intimate experience with space. And so I'm interested in maybe your memories of that and maybe how that brought you forward into your life later contribute to this type of identifying space. Mm -hmm. So that's really true that I think my childhood had a very, really direct influence from what I do now and what I like and what I'm being attracted. Because I spent my childhood summers, like first 20 at least, I think in the Lithuanian Observatory, which is uh, 70 kilometers from Vilnius and uh, while my father was working there as uh, astrophysics and in the telescopes and uh, and, and of course uh, all the the ideas of stars and space was there somewhere actually but I was not thinking better I was not very much in, well I, it was like somewhere there which existed of course but actually what I, I did in these summers I, I spent a lot of time in the forest and lakes because the observatory is in a, a beautiful place with these you, you mentioned the space but actually it's this infinite space but actually there is infinite forests and infinite woods I was walking in, and a lot of lakes, which I was swimming in this, well, not infinite water, but still this sense of uh, when you are in the water, so you think that you are actually in this infinite space. So even if I was there near the astrophysic concept, <laughs> I think what did the, the more influence to my sense of mu even music could be possible to say. It's like being in forest. I know that there is this uh, beautiful Japanese thing called uh, forest bathing. So I think the, the sense of being in a forest with the, also the sound of the forest, the feeling, overwhelming feeling of the forest, and, uh, and the same feeling being in the water, which I, like, I really like a lot. Well, like everyone, I think there is nothing original to be in the water. So I think those sensations, to be in the forest and to be in the water, I think I'm bringing through my work until now and, and more and more in more conscious way. And all these aquatic pieces I wrote, like apnea and, and aquarelle and plonge, and, uh, and they are all like connected with this sense of wishing to be in this wonderful state of, of water. 
And one piece which maybe is more connected with astrophysics is or maybe observation of clouds because it's based on a hydrological cycle of water. Then water is coming down through the rain, goes to the air absorbing and then comes up and evaporating. So it's a continuous circle of water. So that kind of more scientific approach, but actually it's funny because in Lithuania, it's, all the time it's cloudy and it's really difficult to observe the sky and observe the stars. So it's all the astrophysics do, they observe the clouds, trying to understand if it's going to rain and if they will manage actually to watch the stars. You know, I was imagining all of the compositional processes that take place when these elements come in. And I'm wondering how your work balances in terms of, I know that life is busy, you're traveling a lot, but when you sit down to actually compose, do you work in long stretches of time or do you work in short stretches of time? There was once an interview by the famous rock and roller Paul McCartney from the Beatles, who was said to have a regular schedule for writing music. So he would work Monday through Friday from eight to five. He would take coffee breaks, lunch breaks, and everything was very calculated. And then there are other people that find an opportunity to compose when they have that feeling uh, presence around their sensitivities and then they need generous amounts of time and they may get completely lost for three, four, five hours uh, where time disappears. And I just can't help but imagine that you might be one of those people that completely gets lost in time during your compositional work. Is that true? Well, wish I could, because of course, maybe I, I tried to enter into these long sessions of work, but actually I have to be very on the strict discipline because I have kids. So I work actually on office hours when they are out for the school. So I start like when they go out, so I start immediately because I know that time is calculated and I'm really trying to have a very like everyday work as a very strict discipline because otherwise I couldn't do anything, especially when you write big pieces for orchestra. So you have to work every day. But of course, if I have like uh, more time on weekends and I have more freedom, sometimes uh, you enter to really like processes just like my music and, uh, but it takes, I think, a lot of time. So also to reach that kind of state of mind that you really enter and you stay there for when the material, then the musical world is already like build enough to, to really to be able to live there. But in the beginning, I think it's more like trying and trying things. So it doesn't have to uh, long time. But um, sometimes I get a really like kind of illuminations how to say when things come together just immediately so maybe on very often on the airplane during the flights i think in the most crowded situation with a lot of people when you can't do anything except of reading maybe so if i don't read i just go into my sketches and get a lot of good ideas somehow so it strangely doesn't mean that you have to be alone and really left in silence sometimes it's really much frustrating to sit alone and to be really with yourself and then uh, so now i have a dog which helps me a lot not to be alone and really to, to create some kind of uh, <laughs> noise around and yeah the, because the composition process is not always very pleasant and sometimes it's it's a suffer almost <laughs> Sounds like work. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like work, because it is. <laughs> and, and that's because it is. And 
it, and I definitely see this combination effort of inspirational elements on one hand from feeling the subtleties of what you might feel emotionally on a flight and then the uh, craft of the tool set that you've collected and brought into what we call mastery or competency. Even though you hear these tremendously long expanses of what feel like just committed to deep, long periods of time, that it often comes down to the meticulous details and craft and even mathematical proportions. And I understand that you do work sometimes with very specific mathematical proportions. So there's a lot of that side of the brain that you're using when you're working, right? Yeah, a lot. I think it's, it's a pure architecture what I'm doing in my schools because sometimes it sounds or sometimes almost always it, the titles are very poetic but and the inspirations are poetic somehow. But actually it's a beginning and the end because after all you have to go into the music and music is something really concrete and you have to work with rhythm, you have to work with durations, you have to work with pitch organization, with the harmony, with the ranges, with the limits of the instruments and on tempo, how to really build the time and how to build the tempo, how to make these processes go in time and, and really fit into time, how the material fits into time. So there is no note in my score which doesn't have an explanation why it's there. So it's everything is really calculated, even if sometimes maybe it doesn't sound, but like that because but yeah i think i don't leave anything for improvisation uh, neither so so it's really like important to craft and then of course and then the score goes to the musicians so you have to be sure that it's really clear enough and it works perfectly for musicians so so um, of course there's a lot of concrete things to solve while, while writing music even if it sounds like something which is really like untouchable but actually it's very concrete at the same time, and I can certainly appreciate clarity in score because that's the document that people have to get. So there can't be any ambiguity about it in terms of how it's intended to relate because it's written. It has to be clear and, and the musicians have to be capable of executing that objective reality. And I was thinking about how emotional climates and atmospheres are you know, it might be a challenging question, but what is, I think, most touching is when I'm listening to your music, especially a long form, maybe something like Sandglasses, and I really feel I'm relating to this emotional climate, and it feels like a safe place away from the stresses of life, and it's like taking a vacation, but it really transports quite far. It's very hard for me, and I think a lot of listeners, to understand how calculated effort and technical effort can result in what seems like a very open emotional atmosphere. Is there anything you can say that might help explain that process? Uh, maybe you have in mind these big crescendos, and uh, in, which I'm actually in all of my pieces. Every piece is a kind of long and, and slow evolution of some like 
musical object which comes closer, evolves in time and expands in time and in space. And it happens through, musically speaking, through a big crescendo, as if some object comes closer and you can hear it bigger and bigger. So it's something actually very simple and very organic at the same time. And it's something which is like a universal as an idea, like even climbing into the mountain. You climb up, you see the climax, the view from the top, and you go down. So I think these universal and very clear forms of time and tension also, because it's also about building and expanding the tension, So and then releasing it. So I think it's something very natural, and it also could be related with breathing in slowly and breathing out. So in a major scale of form. So this crescendo and diminendo is like breathing in, going into world. So more you are there, more you things you see around and stay there like in a suspended moment and then just gradually go out of it, just breathing out. So I think these kind of forms are in our body and they are in our physical, very physical experiences. And they, I think they relate immediately with the listener.
I also feel this sense of journey and a sense of home and an exploration and then often that return to home. And that sense of home brings me to the obvious question. And you spoke about a lot of the elements of what I feel are very Lithuanian in terms of the Lithuanian people, the relationship to nature, and a lot of this experience. And I wanted to ask you about cultural identity because you've literally uprooted and moved into a completely different culture. You're also in a very metropolitan area, and I'm just wondering how your cultural identity has shifted by living where you're living now, and maybe some words about the Italian experience as it relates to your musical life. I think that this identity, it's, it's built when you are very young and when you are very small even. So I think it was there. I left Lithuania when I was like 26 years old. So I was already like, and all the first experiences I had as a musician happened in Lithuania. So I think, and they somehow created the system of values in music and that came from the context from my composition teachers, from Bronius Kutavicius and Oswaldas Balakauskas, the second one I studied for for many years. So actually what came after, of course, somehow it has some maybe superficial influence, but I think living in Europe, after all, it's like very small uh, world. And like I, I'm from Vilnius, I, I live in Milan, my, my publisher now is like in Paris and I have most of my commissions from Germany. So, but it's still very small world and uh, musical scene is just the same almost. And so being from Lithuania, it's, it's still, you know, I think as being a classically trained professional musician, because I learned music since I was five years old as, as a classical musician. So I think even if you are not German composer, you still belong to the school of Bach and to this European uh, professional music tradition coming from uh, Gregorian chant and Baroque Renaissance and classical um, period. And, and, and it's, it continues, it's completely continuous. At least I feel myself part of this big tradition of music and uh, and what, what actually we do in our work is just using our very own personal filters to filter that kind of tradition and to bring your own uh, interpretation of it but it's only like a filter
you really inherit your life history. And often in Europe, like you said, there's a closeness geographically to these cultural centers. I think it's very different here in the United States, but it definitely the American experience is very complex and let's say diverse in its perception of cultural identity. I wanted to have a little bit of fun in asking you, what are you listening to these days? I know most of us are listening to uh, streaming apps and uh, sometimes SoundCloud, and I think the CD is on its way out. Some people are going back into vinyl. But if I was looking at maybe something of what Yusta is listening to these days. Uh, nothing. <laughs> I don't listen to anything usually. Well, I, I was actually, you know, I was, I really, well, going to these concerts now, live concerts of my music, I managed to listen to a lot of different other concerts around or other pieces in my concerts. So that was really, really great after all to have experience of live concerts as a physical experience. So I really rediscovered the joy of being in a concert. And then actually, I don't remember what I listened. I can't tell you what I heard. It, it just being in a live concert, whatever it is, and many concerts I managed to listen in these past months. So that was really a big joy. But I don't like listen to music at all, like normally, like at home. I, if, of course, if I'm interested in something, I go check and I listen to it. But having a possibility to go really and to feel the physical power of sound in the live situation so that is um, uh, a completely different thing than having the streams and sound clouds and whatever so and about the future what is on your current plan for future projects what's in the future of your music coming up well, never knows, because I decided to, after 20 years of being monochrome composer, I've decided to go a bit out of my comfort zone and to write a piece for non-monochrome uh, symphonietta ensemble piece, where you have like 16 different instruments. And I thought really to try if my music was all about these monochrome dense textures, or there is another quality inside which could be taken out of that, even if this uh, monochrome density doesn't exist anymore. So I'm really curious to find out what comes out. I'm, I feel very much stimulated about this task. So now I'm working on this piece for Ensemble Modern and London Symphonietta Remix Ensemble co-commission. So uh, there are some other plans. And so, it, uh, you know, it's, it seems like I feel very much like in a continuous creative process for almost like 20 years I'm working. But Still, every piece brings you something completely new. Even if then after that, it sounds like still very much your music. But every time it's like starting from the white sheet of paper and really bringing yourself onto some new territories. I love this idea of leaning into the discomfort. And I also love the idea of starting a new chapter of thinking around creativity. So I wish you all the best with this inner challenge. And I want to, in addition to thanking you for the time today to be a part of this podcast, to also thank you for the stability of what you offer musically. It's a difficult time now, 
And the gift that you offer of stability is just very precious and very priceless. So thank you so much for participating in this podcast. And it's been just wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. Same for me.